Welcome to On the Wet Coast, a podcast about sexuality and ethical non-monogamy of every variety. We talk polyamory and swinging, monogamish and open relationships, from dirty, dirty sex to heartbreak. We share our personal experiences and philosophies, observations and theories, what works for us, and where we fucked it right up. Join us on the Wet Coast. Geekery and non-monogamy seem to cross over in many ways. So many of the people we've met, connected to, and sexed up have been fellow geeks that enjoy much the same pop culture that we do. Whether it's movies, TV shows, books, musical theater, role-playing games, or video games. You need to have something to talk about when the sexin's done, after all. Despite the chic that many geeky pastimes now enjoy, it wasn't always the case. Those of us who spent our youth with interests outside the norm of sports ball and top 40 tunes have always tended to seek others who are similar. Turns out, the outsiders also tend to find their way into kink and non-monogamous realms. I'm Flick Morrison, here with Cat Stark, and joining us on the Wet Coast is Kevin Patterson. Kevin is the creator of the Poly Role Models Project, author of Love Is Not Colorblind, and Self-Professed Geek, and here to talk sex, geeks, and sexy geekery. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much. I'm going to stop you right there. First things first, it's love's not colorblind. Second thing second, I heard you pronounce the U in color. <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah, I 100% did. Yeah. There is no U in color. <laughs> On the outline, I actually spelled it the American way, even though it hurt my soul. <laughs> Sorry, we apologize. Love's not colorblind. Sorry. I, I was Yeah, sorry. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, we're really excited to talk to you. So what are your what if, if you had to pick say three core geek areas, where are where are you the geekiest? Where's your big geek passions? If I had to pick three, um it would be video games, uh comic books, and um Boy, I don't know. I, I, I would. I, I'm gonna say sci-fi, but yeah. I know it goes back and forth between like science fiction novels and uh, high fantasy novels. Mm. I'm gonna say sci-fi, though. Okay. Yeah, I mean, um, favorite's a tough question for someone who's you know a geek and and uh, probably has interest in just about everything in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. I lean into. I lean into a lot. I, uh, especially, uh, especially like I. X-Men comics. I grew up on X-Men comics. I mm-hmm. love them like my like they're my own family. I'm I'm always disappointed with how the movies go because in my head they should be as good as the Adve- Avengers movies, but they just aren't. Yeah. Yeah, one of one of my first um com- probably the first comic book I ever bought. Actually, I I I stole it. I stole it out of a, a friend's grandmother's <laughs> basement. Uh was an X-Men comic. Uh, one of the most um, sort of lauded storylines was the first issue of uh, Days of Future Past, sort of that that, uh, that genius storyline from Chris Claremont. Yeah, Chris Claremont, I I love his work. I've got got a lot of, I've got a lot of X-Men drawings in my home. I've got a lot of, uh, like, I've got hundreds of books from, like, the 90s era of Mm -hmm, um, mm X-Men, like X-Factor, X-Force, Uncanny X-Men, Excalibur. Like, X-Factor is actually my all-time favorite team. So, like, that whole family of books is, like, uh, is my whole childhood. So you you probably have a great collection of, like, cover enhancements from those early 90s comic books. 
Yeah, all the holograms, yeah, and yeah. Like, uh, the flicks where you turn it and it's like you turn it one way and it's havoc, and you turn it the other way and it's cyclops. Yeah. <laughs> so one one of the great things about geekdom is uh, alienating the one geek in the room who doesn't share that particular passion. <laughs> Um, so why do you think geeks are so drawn to non-monogamy? I think a lot of it is, um, a lot, a, a lot of us sort of feel like these misunderstood loners trying to find a way in a world that's, uh, in a, in a world that tries to force a standard on you. Yeah. And that, that, that's just a guess, of course, but I mean, I, I stumbled into non-monogamy. I wouldn't have found it on my own, but when I, when I landed there, there were a lot of other geeks along with me. Right. And like I'm, I'm a huge sports fan as well, but I know where I can talk sports, and it's not really in my non-monogamy communities <laughs> like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you see a lot of us just glaze right over when we start hearing stuff. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I definitely uh, agree with you that you know my theory has always just been like people who are kind of outside the norm seek other things that tend to be outside the norm like and a lot of the time we do just kind of fall into it um as opposed to like hey let's go do some other alt things (laughs) Um, but um but yeah like we we sort of got there and discovered how nerdy the community was and and it's one of the reasons we were so drawn to the you know life on the swing set crew was just how much a bunch of big geeks they are (laughs) um and it was like oh these are our people. Yeah, I, same. Maybe there's a little bit also of, you know, exactly what uh, sort of the the puritanical comics code was afraid of, that, like, um, subtle uh, uh, sexual and kinky messages in comic books maybe just turned us all into pervs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from what I understand, the part of the reason the comic code did get written in was uh, because, like, Wonder Woman would get tied up in, like, yeah. every issue back when Marston <laughs> was still writing it. Yeah. Or, um, there was a lot of talk about like um, the dynamic between Batman and Robin. That's why Batgirl and Batwoman were originally created to to give them partners so that nobody looked at Batman and Robin as a as a weird dynamic. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's definitely that. Uh, comic books was one of the first sort of moral panics, and uh, you yes. know, of course, in the in the 80s, we had the moral panic about um, about Dungeons and Dungeons, Dragons. Yeah. So yeah, so you can imagine as like a, a geeky young Christian, uh, I had a lot of secret shame about my my hobbies and and interests. Plus, mm-hmm. you know, masturbation. <laughs> so, I just turned forty last weekend. And um, I'm in the middle of my very first Dungeons and Dragons campaign. It started. Uh, it started like a few months ago, and we, you know, me and some local people from my, my polyamory community, we get together every couple of months to play. But the reason why I'm playing in my late 30s and early 40s and not in my teens is because of that whole idea of Dungeons and Dragons being satanic. My mom heard it. She got in my face about it. And my friends who invited me to play all of a sudden got shut out of my life. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, that that is interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, like, I remember playing, like, the first edition of Dungeons & Dragons, like, at my, like, I went to a, an enriched class in like elementary school and i remember us playing <laughs> D there um so yeah i i think clearly it 
the panic didn't really reach that community. <laughs> I, I actually remember dungeon mastering for my enriched class in elementary school. And the reason why was because the, um, the teacher and facilitator of that program had heard about the moral panic and he was really in, interested to, to find out if there was any truth to it. And, and, um, and, and, you know, and so after the, after the game that we ran, he had a lot of questions about, um, about some of the, some of the, the crazy stuff that he had heard. And there's, there's a, there's a book, um, that breaks down a lot of these old myths, a lot of these old sort of video game myths. And I'm, I'm trying to look it up right now while I'm talking to you, (laughs) but it's, it's something that I read a few years ago. Um, uh, it might have been like "Prepare to Meet Thy Doom" uh, by David <laughs> by David Kushner, but um, one of these, or yeah, it might have been that uh, "Prepare to Meet Thy Doom." But one of those one of those old books, it's got a whole breakdown of different myths and video games and gaming in general, mm-hmm. and it and it talks about what happened there, like why that stigma started, and um, and why it's complete bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Well, it it's um. So many things are are ubiquitous. So when when something happens with a with a teenager, either you know uh, suicide or um, you know or or murder, um, th- when they find those things, it becomes a false attribution. It's like, well, he played video games. The video games made him kill people. It's like, yeah. well, every single teenager in the world plays video games. Yeah, I used to I used to make that argument all the time in reference to uh, Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Be- because people would say, you know, Grand Theft Auto would, you know, cause violent behavior in kids that never exhibited violent behavior. And I'd say, well, if one-tenth of one percent of Grand Theft Auto players did that, maybe there's a story. But you're not going to find 60,000 Grand Theft Auto players who jumped into some crime, some kind of violence that never at all ever ex- exhibited that sort of behavior. Every city would be on fire yeah. <laughs> if one-tenth of one percent were uh, Grand Theft Auto players ran amok. Yeah. So the answer is no. Yeah. You, need to find a, you need to find a new scapegoat. <laughs> yeah. So uh, ge- uh, also geeks are pretty uh, infamous for their tangents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't realize how many geeky references I put into Love's Not Colorblind <laughs> until uh, I got I got called on it by um by Ken Melvoin Berg on a podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, like from he, the American he, Sex podcast. Yeah, from American Sex podcast, and I believe uh, the 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 folks on the Multi Emery podcast might have said something about it too. And I didn't realize what I had wedged into it, but apparently there's a lot of geeky shit in there. <laughs> Whereas it just seemed really normal. Like I don't think I. I clued in because that has just been my non-monogamous experience is that is the kind of stuff we talk about. <laughs> yep. Polygeekery is a word for a reason. Yeah. So why don't we talk about the benefits of being a non-monogamous geek? I feel like, at least for me, one of the benefits of being a non-monogamous geek, like the beginning of every relationship that I'm in is me and the person I'm with saying about a thousand times, really? You didn't see that? Wow. Let me show it to you. <laughs> and so that, mean, that means I get to show somebody Black Mirror for the hundredth time. That means somebody gets to tip me off to their favorite horror movies. And next thing you know, we're just geeking out about each other. Yeah, it's a it's a great icebreaker and a way to kind of you know um, find some some common passion and excitement. I, I actually remember a first date where it was you know 
it was taking a while to kind of warm up and but then we started talking about Harry Potter and then the date was just on fire and, uh... <laughs> that's a good place to go oh I, yeah yeah I got in trouble on Twitter with about Harry Potter I made some snarky comment about <laughs> oh, Slytherin remember this I remember <laughs> yeah. this and I didn't I didn't mean it seriously like you know, <laughs> Please don't hurt me, Slytherins. <laughs> I made some crack about why Slytherins would be poor lovers, and Twitter exploded on me. Well, as a Slytherin, I do take it personally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for all I know, you might have been one of those comments. No, I tend to like not jump in on that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that was, I got- that was pretty great. I I I, uh, I really enjoyed the uh, the you know the comments and backlash and the, all of the. The compelling defenses of Slytherins that that um, that that appeared on Twitter. Yeah, real offense was taken there. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it does give you a, a good you know meeting point kind of thing to also you know get upset at other people <laughs> and, and judge them for uh, for not being on your team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's there's quite a bit of that. Yeah, I uh that that's true. I mean, mu- you know, um mutual uh, animosities can be a great thing to bond over. I remember some friends of ours who uh who met and bonded over their their mutual hatred of cheese, which <laughs> wow. Which is just yeah, like right? Cheese. They both hate cheese. There's there are two of them in the world and they met each other. Yeah. I mean, I don't under, I don't understand that. And like, you know, no hate. Everybody's got to hate the things that they or no hate from me to them. Everyone's got to hate the thing that they want to hate. But yeah. but cheese offers so much and and asks for so little. <laughs> I I consider it a character flaw in both of them. I'm quite I mean, I'm fond of them, but no, that's but no, that is a yeah. that's a character flaw. Yeah. I think the Bible says that man can't uh, live on bread alone, and that's why we have cheese. That's why we have cheese. <laughs> yeah. we have cheese. It's, it's in the Bible, people. <laughs> yep. One of the things that that I love about geeks is um, is hearing them talk about their passions, and you don't even necessarily need to share their passion, right? Like I remember yeah. at uh, at Woodhull, um, uh, somebody t- a sex toy uh, maker uh, talking about pigments and. And it was it, it was it was just really um, a, a fascinating and interesting uh, conversation, and uh, you know, talking about why certain certain colors are so rare, and you know, what he was doing to try to get those colors and stuff. It's it's really it's really cool stuff. Was that uh, Kenton at Fun Kit Toys? Hundred percent, it sure was. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, Kenton, Kenton, who's a generally an awesome guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was at a um, a sex ed summit that was at Widener University, which I actually live walking distance from. So I was able to go over and hang out with him while he was selling uh, selling Fun Kit toys. And I said Fun Kit toys this three times that I've said the, said the name uh, <laughs> because he Beetlejuice, some, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Yeah, he makes such like really awesome silicone toys. He really and, does. They're yeah. fantastic. I mean, not just silicone toys, but yeah. Um, but he also, uh, but like he he has a passion for words, like really obscure, like forgotten language sort of words. Mm-hmm. And I got a chance to just hang out with him and listen to him talk about these words. And that was that same thing you just said: listening to geeks talk about their passions. For you, it was pigment. For me, it was words. Yeah. And it was the same guy just rattling on about these things, and you could tell how into it he was. Yeah. 
And for me, like seeing him on Twitter with uh, like musical theater references and and puns and that sort of thing, I like it's just like wow, this is just wonderful to watch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and that's just that's just one guy. There's also lots of geeks that you're going to run into like every time i run into cooper from uh from life on the swing set we just start randomly talking about geek shit mm-hmm. like there there's so many different things we could talk about there are so many like sexy things or book things or podcasts and activists and other things that we could talk about but it always just becomes us talking about geek shit usually because i'm wearing some video game or marvel comic shirt or something like that and that's where the conversation goes yeah sometimes sometimes that that sort of you know uh passionate conversation can be a bit of a barrier i I remember like at some sex parties it taking too long to get started because the conversation (laughs) was just too animated it's like you know we we needed to have an alarm clock or something okay time to fuck yeah yeah i um, at Woodhull, um, at Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit, there was a point where there was a bunch of people hanging out in my room. I don't know if they were trying to make it a sexy environment, but we were watching that Tom Hanks movie, The The Terminal, and if it was going to be sexy, it did not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm often the person in those situations that just starts taking my clothes off. Because yeah. um, it's like, all right. It's good to have someone who, who someone something's gonna happen yeah, here. Someone who who's, who's like okay, yeah, well, I mean, basically ninety minutes of everything is enough for yeah, you. Like yeah. like so, <laughs> so we all right. We've been talking for ninety minutes. I'm done with this. I've been we've been playing this game for ninety minutes. Let's wrap it up. Like you know, yeah. that's that's kind of your, your. Although it 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 is extended to three hours for sex stuff. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's all. Yeah, like you said, it's always good to have somebody who's that icebreaker. I've got a partner who is that person. Where it's like, well, this talk was good, but my clothes are now off. Who's fucking? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I remember um, one of the other things that I that I think is uh, a big part of sex geekery is that kind of passion for learning and reading and just like accumulating information. And so I think that that has helped create this community of of learning around sex and pleasure and consent culture and communication. Yeah, that was definitely how I found it where I mean I stumbled into my non-monogamy um but when I got there, I was like, well, this is new. This is weird. I don't think this is something sustainable. I'm going to read all the books and, and, and give it a real go. If, I wanna, if I'm going to make mistakes, I don't want them to be like rookie mistakes. And mm. granted, I, I ended up making tons of mistakes. Mm. I, still, I still make mistakes. They're big, grand, fantastic mistakes. But luckily, they're not the things that you're going to read about in like opening, opening up or, or ethical slut. Yeah, that's the generally the the mistakes that we've made. And again, like, that's why in the opener, we talk about, you know, where we fucked things right up, because, you know, we have definitely done that and, and done that, like on a big scale. Um, but yeah, like we, we did so much research, well, particularly me did so much research in the beginning, just reading all the things um, before we started doing all that much, because it was just like, no, I just I need to know how this works. And just I can't believe you just impugned my reading. I did, <laughs> I did plenty of reading. I read I read all the all the I read all the things when I gave them to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that that constant you know desire for more information and and getting like finding podcasts and listening to them and just you know websites and reading about people and how they do it and it 
it just is really, it's really compelling and, um, and just, you know, keeps that, that desire to just learn new shit happening all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, uh, I like the idea that polyamory comes with, um, comes with some level of activism and like that's my Mm. feeling about it that it should come with at least some level of activism and part of that ends up being just learning about the people that you're with especially when the people that you're with aren't like you uh yeah like i've for 39 years i identify this straight i don't know exactly what i'm identifying as today but at least part of that was being around people who didn't identify as straight and learning about sort of what their journeys look like and what their attraction levels look like and you know mine just sort of moved around as a as as life would have it yeah i relate to this a lot and and i feel like um like um being exposed to the to the learning to the Twitter community and just you know all the people, uh, you know I still I still identify as straight, but I feel like I just kind of round off to that and um, and I have a lot less attachment to what that means and um, you know, to and to what it mean what it means to uh, to be a masculine person. Yeah, um, and uh, you know when when uh, there's there's often a cert, a certain kind of baseline knowledge. That you can take for granted with with sex geeks uh, in terms of like consent culture and you know and even anatomy. I remember mm-hmm. uh, being at a vanilla party and uh, and saying "nice clitoris" at the three D printed clitoris that the hostess had, and um, you know and and one of the other guests said, uh, "how how do you how do you know that how, you know and and it's like well it's that's a that's a clit. It's you know, it kind of looks like a little yeah. aquatic dinosaur with its <laughs> funny little yeah. cute little head, and and I was kind of, I was kind of speechless for a moment, and I I almost said, how do you not know that? But you know, of course, most people have not seen the three D printed clitorises. Yeah. They haven't. They, you know, there there's just so much that that most people don't know about um, about sex and bodies. From what I gather, um, and it's just from hanging out with with uh, with um, with vulva having partners, most guys in general don't know what the clitoris looks like. Whether it's three D printed, like the full model, the actual anatomy of it, you know, like if if drawn a map with some arrows and like red circles, the clitoris apparently is very hard to find. The way that that sexuality is simply not taught, like. There's a hell of a lot of people who have vulvas and clitorises that don't actually know where it is or how it works or what the yeah. shape is as well. Because um, it's just like, you know, the sex education is just so poor that, um, you know, the majority of people, regardless of their gender, just have no freaking clue how it all works. Yeah, like yeah. You, you hear you hear so many horror stories about um, how sex negativity and, and homophobia have have impeded basic hygiene for people. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that guys afraid to wash their own asses because for fear of gayness. Yeah. Yeah. Don't touch your butthole. Yeah. (laughs) How, how sad and fragile are we as men that we are afraid to wash our own asses? Hell, I remember a a catchphrase when I was a kid when when you're uh, going to take a piss was uh, shake it more than twice you're playing with it. And the, you know, the implication is don't play with it. And um, and I actually remember there was 
there was an implication of uh, homosexuality around around masturbation and stuff. You know, it's because I guess because you're playing <laughs> with a cock. So <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. There was a, I remember there was a commercial. I can't remember what product it was for, but it was like two men. They were working on like a, working on cars or something, and they accidentally fall into one another in a, a kiss, and they immediately like, oh no, like we have to do something manly to sort of counteract this accidental falling into each other, uh, <laughs> physical contact. So they start like slapping each other and like pulling each other's chest hair off off of one another like they have to they have to man it up yeah for fear that like now now you're gay now now you now you have to go pick out like doily patterns and things <laughs> i don't remember that commercial or what it was for no i don't yeah. I, i'm not it, familiar at all but it's a lot like that scene from planes trains and automobiles right where those aren't pillows those aren't pillows yeah Wow, I forgot about that. I've only seen that movie once, and it was forever ago. Well, I used, I worked in a video store, so I've seen most movies that are worth watching at least three times. That is the best job. Oh, it was it's so just, great. It was, a, it was a dream job, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too, too bad it paid minimum wage. But. And too bad it doesn't, that, that, that job doesn't exist anymore in that same way. There's still a video store in Vancouver. Wow. Yeah. A yeah. single one, yeah. Be kind. Rewind. Yeah. <laughs> um, wh- one of the one of the big benefits to um, you know, I think to being a geek is um, is like just embracing awkwardness, and yeah. you know, and and not being not being afraid of you know of being dorky, and I I think that really that that can lend itself to the authenticity that that um, is really effective in non monogamy. I find myself like remembering and like and and sorry if this is a tangent because geeks <laughs> but I I feel like if I was going to be uncomfortable with who I am that was more of a thing in the past when when the geek things that I that I was into was less in vogue right yeah. um like and and I've said I've said this before but like the the comic books that I got uh teased about reading are all movies that are the highest selling movies of all time yeah right? for sure yeah. you know like everyone that gave me shit for playing video games they they all want to play call of duty with me now they 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 messaged me on facebook and asked me what games to buy for not just for their kids but for themselves yeah, yeah. so i'm no longer in a place where i'm uncomfortable with that aspect of myself and walking into polyamorous spaces I can just say, well, I've already done that whole being awkward about who I am thing. I can just not do that right now. I can walk I can walk that off. And obviously a lot of it ends up being just like me forcing myself to be more social than I'd like to be or more confident than I than than I feel, but at the same time like if it's an imposter syndrome thing, if I'm feeling imposter syndrome, I have to remember that everybody else is, we're all imposters <laughs> just trying to make it make our way. Yeah, um, and I've I've definitely found personally that you know like initiating sex can be awkward, and you know like even the sex itself can be awkward. <laughs> and when I was you know learning to wield a strap on, you know it's like figuring out those positions and what works. You know, like I had never done that and had never had to think about the mechanics of thrust angles and and how to 
get in there in the right position. And, you know, it was definitely not this smooth, you know, rolling around just perfect, like, okay, I'll get you here. And then we'll do this. And, and, you know, the size differential, like my body strength, and often I'm the same size as the person that I'm theoretically chucking around. And, you know, it's, I just had to embrace that, like, this is an awkward thing that we're figuring out. And by being comfortable with that, it just made it so much easier. And I ended up giving someone like a, a lesson, like she came over and, you know, I got her to fuck me. Um, <laughs> a pretty great way to give lessons. But, you know, by helping her embrace that same awkwardness, like this doesn't have to be smooth and flowing by being like, wait, can you just like scoot over here and get maybe let's maybe jam a pillow under your butt or, you know, and just like being really authentic in that moment of of like it's weird and silly and kind of uncomfortable and we're we're figuring it out just helped just helped me get enough practice that I'm now like a lot better at it but still sometimes pretty awkward yeah especially um especially when like we don't know when the where the person that we're talking to sort of is whether it's uh like there might be somebody where I say, hey, like, would you be interested in, like, hooking up? Would you be interested in, like, getting sexy sometime? And maybe they're sexy every day but that day that you ask them. Yeah. You know, or maybe they'd be interested in some other context. Or maybe you just fumble over your words and the mood is lost. Next thing you know, like, this is something that became – it was awkward to go for it, and it's more awkward that you did as opposed to less. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, for me, like, that tends to win me over. Like, a sort of awkward pass is much more something that I would be interested in than someone who's, like, super smooth and kind of playery and, you know, like, yeah. that That for me is like, oh, um, because it, it speaks to a lot of, like, you know, inauthentic behavior. And so, like, for me, like, awkward is actually, like, totally my jam. <laughs> Somebody, um, somebody a couple of years ago, um, they just straight up said to me, like, we were having a conversation and they were just like, hey, like, I think you're cute. Would it be okay if I flirted with you? Yeah. And, and that's sort of where I, like, like, it was such a, it was such a comfortable approach. It gave me the room to say no. And I've been using that ever since. And like, sometimes it has made it more awkward. Most times it's just been yeah, I'd, I'd like that. Or no, I'm okay with you not flirting. And then we just sort of move on with the remainder of our conversation, the remainder of our interaction. I'm totally going to steal that. <laughs> yeah, go for it. It's, it's, it's not mine, so I can't claim it. <laughs> so, you know, even if you're not aiming for mutual sexy stuff, like the geekery moments can be a really great way, like you spoke about this earlier, Kevin, to just connect with other humans and to figure out, like, to get that connection when you're from completely different backgrounds. Yes. Yeah. And I've actually been using sports in that way for a long time, Mm. where I used to go um, and I, there was a time where my wife and I had a trip to Vegas and I said, watch what I do here. And everywhere we went, everyone we bumped into, I'd be like, hey, how about that sports? And <laughs> You know, I'd say like, you know, how about how about the soccer game that's going right now? What's up with the, you know, what's up with the Giants? What's up with the, you know, you know, did you see that thing that Kobe did last night? And everywhere we went, everyone we interacted with, I was able to spark up a completely random conversation. Now, compare that to uh, a couple of years ago, I was at a conference in Chicago. I was at Catalyst Con in Chicago. 
And the Golden State Warriors were playing this world-beating ba- brand of basketball. They'd go on to break the record for the most record, uh, most wins in the regular season. And I'm enthralled watching this game. And there I am, w- surrounded by a bunch of sex educators who could not care less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I remember uh, Rebecca Hiles, the frisky fairy, looking at me and saying, Oh, look at Kevin. He's all watching his sports ball. It's so cute. And <laughs> I remember feeling so out of place because I couldn't have a sports conversation there. Meanwhile, if I had started up a geek conversation, everyone would have jumped in because that that was that was the landscape. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean you you write about it in the book and you talked about it in the session at um at the Woodhall Sexual Freedom Summit about connecting with someone at playground about the the bioware games yeah where we were um i was yeah i was at playground this is 2015 and somebody spotted me wearing my mass effect sweatshirt and i have a lot of mass effect gear i'm actually wearing a mass effect t-shirt right now i i mean i'm i have a mass effect heart it's it's (laughs) a tattoo with a tattoo, several t-shirts, hoodies, books all over the place, a backpack that I take everywhere. And somebody spotted the, the, the hoodie and sort of invited herself all along to lunch with me. And we spent like an hour and a half talking about Mass Effect and talking about Dragon Age. And when we started talking about Dragon Age, uh, Mass Effect sort of sister game, cousin game, they're both like from the same company. Mm-hmm. At some point, she just said, yeah, and like it's really cool to have this character Krem in the game because Krem's a trans man and he's written pretty well and I'm a trans woman and it's really cool to see that sort of representation. And we talked about Krem for about 5, 10, 15 minutes and then we talked about other things and like I got to learn about her perspective as a gamer about having like this materially relevant this identity relevant character and how that how she felt in being represented that way. And it was such a great experience because she opted into a conversation about her identity, and then she opted out. I didn't have to force her to be an ambassador for trans people. I didn't force her to have a conversation that made her uncomfortable. It was relevant for when it was relevant, and then otherwise we were just geeks geeking out. Mm-hmm. Representation matters. It does. It does. I mean, like, I, I play, I've played through the Mass Effect games dozens of times like literally dozens of times the entire trilogy of those games and most of the time my character my commander shepherd whether male or female usually female is um is black and having that character and and seeing that in yourself on ca- on screen is it helps especially and like a um, black panther came out this year and seeing how well that did Mm-hmm. And seeing like so many different black characters, so many rich and diverse black characters, like they were all black, but they were all different. Like Shuri isn't like Okoye, isn't like um, Nakia, isn't like um, Indijaka, isn't like T'Challa. And seeing that richness of cast and such a quality movie and seeing that it's like number three, um, number the number three all time movie domestically here in America. And it's and it's the number one um, superhero movie, isn't it? Like, yeah, oh yeah. The only movies ahead of it are uh, it's the last, uh, not the last Jedi, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and one of James Cameron's movies. I can't remember whether it's Avatar or, or Titanic. Titanic. Yeah. yeah, I think it's so, Avatar. Okay, I'll I would take I would it. bet I would bet that it's Avatar. Yeah, so it's one Star Wars movie, one James Cameron movie, <laughs> and then Black Panther. Yeah. 
You know, so that sort of representation matters. There are STEM programs that are getting started up because because of Shuri in Black Panther, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and as as someone raised female, like just even all the all the amazing women in that movie that weren't that weren't, you know, the extra character. And, you know, there was the the slight romantic interest between T'Challa and what was and Nakia. Yeah. And, but you know, she was a badass in her own right and she wasn't just there as, as extra. Well, and the romance no. wasn't the driving. No. Yeah. It was, it was kind of just yeah. there. Um, yeah. And, and getting to see that and just see all these badass warriors and it not being like, Hey, look, this is unusual. You know, it's yeah. not like river song from, from, Firefly and Serenity just suddenly is a kick-ass monster, you know, that you're like, what the hell? Where did this come from? Um, yeah, but they were she just... Weighs 12 pounds. She weighs 12 pounds yeah. soaking wet. <laughs> um, so it was just the the immediate, just like, that. They this is just how it is, was was amazing and, and just felt really good um, as, you know, someone raised female to see that. Something they don't play up, um, something they don't play up in that movie is the fact that women can inherit. And mm. when, like, during the, the big challenge scene where T'Challa confirms that he's the king, um, you know, it's played for laughs that Shuri raises her hand. But Shuri could have literally challenged for uh, for the mantle, one, and become queen of Wakanda. Yeah. But also... Before Shuri raises her hand, they go through the different tribes of Wakanda. It's the mining tribe, the merchant tribe, the border tribe, and each of them has like a warrior who could challenge, but they all choose not to. The river tribe, their warrior is Nakia. Nakia Uh. could have challenged and become the queen and Black Panther. Yeah. But the river tribe decided not to challenge. I did not know that. That uh, that women could inherit in in uh, Wakanda. Yeah, and they don't they don't play it up. To, they don't play it up a lot. But just the fact that they could, just the fact that like a couple of the elders, uh, at least three of the elders, in like all of the throne room scenes are women. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you know just having that as as just normal baseline without it being like pointed out like, hey, look at what we're doing. It, you know, it just it helps yes. to normalize and and yeah, that sort of stuff that you know we've only seen the movie once and really should uh, remedy that. Um, I think Kevin was watching it when, yeah, when we, <laughs> when we met you in Vancouver, actually. <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, yeah, I was watching, yeah, I was watching it in Vancouver. I, there's never been a shortage of times where I've watched black Panther. I, <laughs> I, I saw it four times in theaters. Um, one of the only, uh, POC exclusive events in my local community's history was when black Panther came out, I filled up a row of people to see that. Like I, the game plan was to buy like um, 12 tickets and then like just to, to reserve the seats and people would pay me back. But mm-hmm. after a while I was like, you know what? Don't pay me back anything. I'm just buying 12 tickets. And I filled up a row myself and like one other uh, member of the community who bought like another three tickets. We filled up that theater with black Philadelphians. Yeah. And um, I, the last time I saw it in theaters was after I had already owned it on uh, on um, home video, and I've been watching it like with my kids and by myself and at random ever since. Yeah. <laughs> That's delightful. I might watch it tonight. <laughs> oh, that was a big tangent. Yeah, it was a great tangent, though. We hit on a lot of great stuff. Five out of five. Would tangent again? <laughs> <laughs> now there are some drawbacks to 
to geekery and the exclusion that, uh, you know, happened earlier in the episode. And <laughs> at the beginning of the episode. Um, that can happen, um, you know, at these times when you get, you know, a couple people into it or like a group of people and then there's the one or two sitting there like, I have no idea what's happening. Um, that can definitely be exclusionary and there's can be sort of an expectation that you can afford the latest gaming system to talk about the latest Zelda or whatever that um, that that can really differentiate like people's ability to you know engage in the conversation yeah I've I'm not always uh, I'm not always employed like I work in tech and I'm a contractor so sometimes I'm on and sometimes I'm off and when I'm off I I see it very clearly how often like a friend will be like, oh my god, did you play this game? And it's like, yeah, I'd like to, but or you know, or I realize that if I if I do have enough money to buy something, I end up buying something that I know I'm going to sink hundreds of hours into because I don't know when I'm going to be able to buy something else. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, I I remember feeling like a bum when everyone was buying latest consoles, and it's like, oh yeah, well. Can't really afford that right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until my my birthday this year when <laughs> I had sprained my ankle the day before. Um, yeah, so our plans were shot. And so we were supposed to go to the beach and have this, like, wonderful, like, picnic and mimosas kind of day at the beach. And so, yeah, now I couldn't fucking walk. Um, so we ended up going out and buying a PS4 and the new Dragon Age Inquisition and, like, yeah. Yes. And it was like, okay, this is a really expensive birthday all of a sudden, but like I wanted something fun. <laughs> I feel like when I when I buy a game in you know, America the games are sixty dollars, um yeah. sixty dollars brand new. I always want to get like a dollar uh, five dollars an hour. So if I'm spending <laughs> sixty bucks, I want to get twelve hours of game out of my game. Yeah. And then a game like Dragon Age Inquisition comes out and it's and I spend hundred and twenty hours playing through it the first time yeah and now i feel like if the guys from bioware came and knocked on my door i'd just have to hand them my wallet (laughs) well it's much like you know the really great sex toys that's like you're you know working out your price per orgasm and um (laughs) those really great games you know your 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 price price per per orgasm yeah (laughs) what is is your price for orgasm like i need to know this information now Well, I mean, it depends on the toy. Like, you sometimes buy a toy and you spend, you know, they're often like 80 or more dollars. And it's like, wow, this didn't really do anything. So this wasn't, you know, an $80 not an orgasm. Yeah. Or there's the, you know, uh, Enjoy 11 that, you know, was like more than $200. But the number of orgasms we've gotten out of that, it's, it's maybe a... I don't know, five dollar an orgasm kind of thing. Well, and the and uh, it, it we're probably bringing that bringing that price down all the time. Right? Yeah, um, it's, <laughs> it, that's that's a toy that just lasts forever. Plus, um, it's like it's it's a great surprise for like size queens, like yeah, you know, yeah. who've never who've never used. It. And you can also beat up people who try to rob you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If someone came into the house, like it would definitely be an effective uh, deterrent. Yeah, I like to dual wield. I have the the eleven in one hand and the the pure wand in the other. And uh... <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually afraid of the eleven. Um, I've only used it a couple of times. I I mean, fun was had by all, but I was the same way the same way, Kat, that you were talking about, like 
not understanding um, when you've got the strap on sort of some of the logistics because it's not actually like attached to your body. Yeah. I felt that way about the 11. Like this is something with the potential to hurt my partner. And because I don't have sort of the fine mechanics of say like a penis attached to my body or my hands or something, I was always self-conscious about possibly hurting somebody so the one time that i used it it was great and everyone had a great time but i've never i've never tried to use one again Mm. it's a it's a lot of checking in and a lot of like you know this angle or that angle you know uh faster slower yeah it's 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 a it's definitely a communication based uh toy yeah and you need to encourage the partner to be like bossy about it because it is very much all about the angles and and stuff. And I, you know, I often have to like put the big end in myself because it, it I have a hard time fitting it and I don't want to get angry at the other person for hurting me, but I can just like once I can get it past that point, you know, I can sort of hurt myself in a way that I'm not going to be upset and then it's like, okay, we're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. But yeah, I'm I'm super bossy about like no, you got to change this, you got to angle this, you got to shift this. So that's it's really helpful for for the communication stuff. We were talking about sort of the exclusionary uh, aspects of um, of uh, geekery, and uh, and one of the things that um, that that I that I notice a lot is one partner's a geek and the other partner is not, mm. and so that can that can often make it hard to uh to bond in a group setting when it's mostly geeks and you know the the one person feels very kind of othered in that in that situation Mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes you gotta i mean that also while not enjoy 11 that also requires a lot of check-in yeah just you know making sure that your 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 partner doesn't feel left out or neglected um like I've got a partner who who has never seen or read any of the Harry Potters, and there are so many times where like I'm getting ready to use a reference, and then it's like uh, I gotta I gotta put that back in my pocket. <laughs> but you know, that's something that you know she and I can laugh and joke about. If it's a whole room full of us talking about Harry Potter, then I've got to you know make sure that I find ways to loop her in so that like we don't leave her behind in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it can be fun to just watch people geek out. Um, I have often, like, when we've when we've been, um, you know, at Desire um, in the hot tub, or like when we've, um, you know, been hanging out. You were talking about Cooper earlier, like watching Flick and Cooper geek out about stuff. Like, I can just sit there and I just kind of have this dorky smile on my face, <laughs> and like it's just. I just feel really happy to see that exchange. And, you know, even if I have no freaking clue what is going on, it's just fun to watch people that I'm fond of be passionate about stuff. I feel that way about watching my wife. I really love watching my wife um, when she geeks out about like geek stuff, but also when she's talking about like race and like uh, just sort of like um, identity politics. Mm-hmm. Like I just take a back seat and watch her go, and like, she holds court. And like it's not a sexual fantasy, but a fantasy of mine is to watch my wife do my race and polyamory workshop for me. Mm. <laughs> 
I would love that. I mean, I would love to just sit back and watch. Maybe you know, maybe chime in, ask questions, tell stories, but like let it be her show and her show alone. Is it sort of like a geeky uh, compersion? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. One of the, one of the um, one of the other kind of alienating qualities of geekdom is uh, the sort of violence and horror for some people um, can. Um, you know, keeps them from sort of, you know, participating. And then it can often be triggering to even be in the middle of a discussion of that kind of thing, or, you know, to see someone dressed as a clown or something like there's, um, the, 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 um, the, the graphic violence is often uh, a barrier to people's participation. Yeah. That's a huge thing with, um, game of Thrones. Cause I'm, I'm a game of Thrones fan. Where um, I got into it, like um, um, third season of the show, um, without spoiling anything, something very major happens. I wasn't watching the show, but my Facebook feed exploded. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I asked, like, wait a minute, but this is a book series. How come everyone's so surprised at whatever happened on the show last night? And everyone said, well, we didn't read the book. So I started reading the books and going back and forth, book one, season one, book two, season two. And I caught up and... Like, there are times where I've got partners who just will not talk to me about it. Like, I, I, I want to watch the show, but if I want to watch it and I'm with that partner, well, I guess I'm watching it tomorrow. Or I guess I'm watching it on my phone, like, on one side of the bed while they're reading a book, you know, on the other side of the bed. I, I, I guess I've got my headphones in because I've got to, you know, I've got to respect their, you know, respect their, their, their triggers. i got to respect, you know... The, the the things that make them upset. I I want to I want to uh, sort of consciously initiate a tangent here because it's related to a pet peeve of mine. Um, so many uh, geeks and fans, especially uh, related to superhero movies, will get um, you know they'll they'll talk about something as being uh, you know predictable. Or, you know, a, a prime example is Infinity War. There are events in Infinity War that people people um, um, dislike because, uh, you know, they know, you know, they, they say, well, it'll just have to be undone, you know. And it's like, well, okay, so you know that it's going to be undone, but you're also watching Game of Thrones, which you've read. You know everything that's going to happen. You've, you, you watch The Princess Bride 20 times, and you, and you know every line of dialogue. So... Um, the the journey is still important, even if you know that that certain things are are going to be undone. Um, you know, uh, taking taking umbrage at at uh, you know at the plot for unfolding the way it, the way it did. I I kind of I kind of take beef with that. Yeah, I understand that, and I I try not to be a purist in that way of getting upset when like when something is is a little too obvious. The only time I feel some sort of way about that is if it pulls me out of the story. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and there's that M. Night Shyamalan movie, uh, The Village. Yeah. And, you know, for, for whatever 25 people watch that movie, like, I remember there was a point where I figured out the plot twist. Yeah. And it was maybe like 45 minutes into the movie. Some, somebody said something innocuous that didn't sound innocuous to me. And like when I rewatched the movie, it wasn't what they, it, it was just, it wasn't what they said. It's how I heard what they said. And all of a sudden, boom, the plot twist, you know, was, un, was unveiled to me. 
And so it pulled me out of the movie. Like it made me it made me enjoy the movie a lot less. But that's not that's but that's on me. That's like my own interpretation of somebody else, you know, making an, in, an innocent statement. So I'm not going to take away somebody else's enjoyment for that and I'm not going to tell people it wasn't, you know, a quality movie. Like if if it, if it wasn't a quality movie, it was for other reasons, not because I figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if they play fair, sometimes you you figure it out. You know, if, um, that's that's just the the upshot of of being uh, you know of having seen hundreds of movies in your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I mean, no idea is original, right? Yeah. yeah. All art is remix. Yes. Well, and that and that sort of purist approach can be a lot of like gatekeeping that can happen Mm -hmm. in these things and can like really push people out and um you know have someone feel like oh well i don't know enough about this so you know i'm i'm i can't join in these conversations or i'm not going to fit in with this group um and and sometimes you know that does come from a sort of deliberate place of like we were kind of exiled when we were young for these things so like fuck everybody else um we're gonna we're gonna exile other people for not embracing it because you know this just getting back at it um yeah i hate that yeah like it can be a really shitty thing and and just you know keep people from you know just kind of exploring and being like oh well what is this maybe it actually could be an interest and this could be something we could connect with again if you don't make me feel like human garbage for not being familiar with it yeah i i feel like i was the exact opposite of that like when you know when i felt like i was being shunned or spurned or bullied or whatever it was um because of like my geeky interests i always thought i wish there were more people involved in this yeah not you know it was never for me it was never now that i'm into this and now that i'm comfortable with it let me try to keep other people out. Like my, like my, one of my all-time sexual fantasies is—it's is, not even sexual; it's just intimate. Where, like, take off all your clothes, curl up with me on a couch, and play Streets of Rage two with me from start to finish. <laughs> <laughs> and and if somebody told me, "Hey, I'm into Streets of Rage," I wouldn't ask them any questions about that. I wouldn't ask them any questions that tried to diminish their enjoyment of a thing that I also love. And it doesn't make any sense to me when people do that. Yeah. Yeah, I I I think that I think that basically all geeks when they were when they were kids and teenagers w- would have embraced anybody that expressed the slightest interest in it, right? Like there there would have been no you're not a real fan. There would have been let me curate you into this hobby that I love so yeah. much. And yeah. then, you know, and and so I th- as an, as an adult try to just try to remember what it was like when you wanted people to participate and you know rather than um rather than you know running through running them through a, a gauntlet of uh you know a, a proving ground to try to try to uh ratify their geekdom yeah that that whole gatekeeping thing i don't understand it at all it's it's really it's counterproductive because the people who are doing that gatekeeping they want people they want people in yeah you know they they want the same experiences where like i love playing video games with my partners i love watching geeky movies with my partners and they want to do that too why are you gatekeeping if that's what you want to do yeah 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 Yeah. thanks for coming to our ted talk (laughs) (laughs) so 
um, you've you've spoken about a couple, uh, you know, fantasies that you have uh, with geeky moments. But uh, do you have any like favorite geeky moments uh, within your your time in being non-monogamous that you want to maybe mention? There was um, there was a uh, there was a time where I think it was like the during the PlayStation Three era, uh, um, where they put out a Scott Pilgrim game. Okay, and it was like. Yeah, it was a, a down. It was a downloadable game. It was a downloadable game. It wasn't like huge or complicated. It was very much modeled after like River City Ransom on the NES. But my my basement, I have two televisions. I've got like a big screen and a small screen, and I use them at, at, at both uh, a lot. And so we watched the Scott Pilgrim movie while we were playing the Scott Pilgrim game. <laughs> and like, I don't remember if sexy time happened, but like. I'm almost certain that sexy time eventually happened with the group of us. Yeah. Oh, that is fantastic. That's pretty great. Yeah, I think um, one of our, or, or one of the the moments that that we were involved with that I that I am so fond of um, with the geeks and and again it wasn't it wasn't even about sexy time although everyone looked super sexy um, was at. Um, the Desire swing set um, trip last year, where a group of us dressed up um, as, well, sexy Mormons, um, and did a flash mob to the song Hello from the Book of Mormon. Wow. And, like, it was, it was, it was karaoke night, and um, we got, we got Dylan, who was DJ, to, to put on the, the song from the musical, and we did, uh, like, a flash mob, and, um, Damien, um, who's who's a, a, one of the swing setters who's on Twitter, had made us each, I think there were eight of us, um, had made us each a, a Book of Mormon that he had carved out. He'd ordered them from the Latter-day Saints and had carved out and hollowed it so that he could install a doorbell in each of them. Huh. And so we could like be like, ding dong, hello, Um and it was just like this amazing, like geeky moment um, with all these like sexy people, and yeah, we just we felt just so so connected, and just there were so many combinations of the geekiness in that whole moment, and that it was just pretty amazing. spectacular. It, it was amazing, and the you know I uh, I was I was watching from you know from behind the screen as you know. Um, we, we we kind of entered one by one as the different lines introduced different characters in in the song, and and just the escalating joy on people's faces as more and more of the Mormons appeared and started doing sort of the the uh, the basic choreo that that we had done, and I I will I'll never forget just the the look of sheer joy on people's faces yeah. as uh, <laughs> as we did that. That sounds fantastic. If, if anyone has that on video, I want to see it. Yeah, I, it is not on I video. I think we were very dumb, and we did not think to to you know say to one of the people like, "Hey, can you can you grab my phone and, and video this? You're going to want it." Yeah, it is, um, it is a moment lost in time. Yeah, just one of those ephemeral times, like tears in the rain. <laughs> wow, Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What, one of uh, one of my favorite uh, sexy geeky moments was um, was actually having sex with a, a friend in cosplay, and mm. and I won't say what character because that would actually out her, 
um, but it was uh, um, it, it, uh, she was uh, cross playing a Marvel character, and uh, and yeah, it was it was it was pretty amazing. One of the uh, one of my favorite uh, favorite geeky moments. Wow, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I want to hear more of this story. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see you in a couple of weeks, and we can probably tell you about it. Yeah, yeah, you will. <laughs> So, yeah, why don't you tell us a bit more about um, a geeky project you're working on? Yeah, um, myself and Alana Phelan, who goes by the Polyamorous Librarian, we are currently working on a novel called For Hire Operator. And um, For Hire is... Um, a, it's a, it, these are novels, so all of the words, but it's very comic book based. It's very comic book inspired because uh elena and i are we are both huge comic book uh comic book geeks but it's uh based in a world where superheroes aren't just superheroes they actually work for a living as superheroes so they have social meet they have social media platforms and a level of celebrity but they also have to go to work and patrol and so on okay <laughs> But at the same time, on the opposite end of that spectrum is operators. And operators are more nitty-gritty, uh, legal, dirty-work, hero-for-hire types. And so the, the, the first book in the series, Operator, is about, um, is about an operator who is having romantic trouble because, A, she's running into, like, uh, you know, some lost people in her life, mysterious backgrounds – and B, she's doing this sort of dirty work while also being in a relationship with the most famous superhero in the country. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's normal relationship issues, but there's also the stress of being at two different oper two different ends of the superhuman spectrum. Mm hmm. Well, that sounds really awesome. Uh, so where can people find out more about that? Is is there a Kickstarter or anything? Um, right now, I'm running an Indiegogo. Uh, I'm running an Indiegogo campaign for 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 hire. Now, by the time this airs, that might be over. But the book is releasing in October. It's going to be available on Amazon as an ebook and as a paperback. Uh, if you go to facebook.com/slash/forhiremag. Uh, the, you're going to find like all of the information there. It's a Facebook page. Come in, like the page, follow the news. We're going to be posting up not just about that, but we've got at least two or three different for hire books rattling around on our heads mm -hmm. and also some bonus content for, for hire operators, sort of a lot of the backstory for the, for the main characters that we're going to work on and put, put out there as well so we're really excited about this universe we're creating it's poc centered it's queer and it's polyamorous and it's super geeky because the people who are writing it are queer and polyamorous and super geeky well that sounds fantastic it I, sounds great i am gonna go <laughs> go contribute to that campaign <laughs> awesome please do so we'll post links in our uh, show notes yeah. to uh, uh to your to your project um We've been talking with Kevin Patterson, creator of Poly Role Models and author of Love's Not Colorblind. Uh, that's color without a U. Uh, <laughs> where can people find, uh, find your other projects and find you online? 
Well, I'm I'm Poly Role Models at everywhere. Um, that's Facebook.com slash Poly Role Models, where I've been doing a lot of my posting lately. The blog itself is Tumblr. Um, it's Poly Role Models I'm Poly Role Models on YouTube and Instagram and Twitter as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us joining us on the Wet Coast tonight. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please help us get into the ear holes of more listeners by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or other platforms. Become our favorite people in the whole world by contributing to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash on the wet coast. Follow us on Twitter at wet coast cat. That's cat with a K at serious flick at on the wet coast. Email comments or questions to contact at on the wet and go to onthewetcoast.com for Kat's blog and more, or find them over at lifeontheswingset.com. Get Kat Stark's book, Yelling and Pasties, The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut, available now on ebook and paperback. Go to amazon.com or visit onthewetcoast.com for links to other marketplaces. And check out other awesome sex-positive podcasts on the Swingset Network at swingset.fm. Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. Liz from sexpositivepsych.com, and you're listening to a Swingset podcast at swingset.fm. <laughs>